I notice we have a number of visitors today. I am glad that you are here. You are, just by coincidence, coming in at the end of a series that we have been doing, answering the question, what does it mean to be a church member? So if you hear something today and you're like, ooh, that was intriguing, what were they talking about? You can go back and listen if you want to on our church website, listen to the previous lessons in this series. And it's a double whammy today, because tonight we're finishing up our series on David. So there's a lot more of those lessons. You can, but again, you can go back and listen to the previous lessons on David if you want, uh, just so you're aware of that. If you, you hear something today and you're intrigued and you want to know more, or you can just come ask. We could study with you more. We'd love to do that with you. So we're going to finish up this series today. What does it mean to be a church member? Uh, as we've gone through this, I want to reiterate a couple of things that we've uh, said in the past. That, that church membership, again, I, got, I use this in air quotes here, consists of a variety of things. When we talk about this term, what are we talking about? There's some actual commands about submission to one another and fellowship and unity and, and some explicit levels of, of sort of organization of the church. We've talked about a variety of those things in the past few lessons that we've been talking about church membership. There's some, some actual explicit verbal commands about how to organize how to submit to one another, how to be unified, how to have fellowship. But then overlaid on top of the explicit commands are matters of practical implementation. And this is not just true of church membership or of organization. This is true of a variety of things. Like worship, for example. We're told to worship. We're told what things to do in worship. Why are we doing this order? Well, it's a matter of practical imp implementation, right? The reason that we do things in this particular way could be a different way. We could be worshiping at 2 p.m. Uh, they did that uh, where my grandparents were in Canada. Canada, uh, doing mission work for uh, a number of years. They didn't worship in the morning. They worshiped at two. And ma many of the members liked that because they could sleep in on Sunday. We could do that if we wanted to. Of course, then you'd have to, you'd have to have the breakup of your afternoon, right? Maybe you don't want that. Again, we're thinking about not just the explicit verbal commands in the Bible about how to organize as a church, but then matters of implementation that we've overlaid on these that I want to reiterate again, do not carry the same level as the explicit commands of Scripture, but help us implement those commands. So we think about submission to Christ. Number one, a desire to understand and follow the Word of God. Submission to one another. These are all non-negotiable. These are all, again, explicit in the text. But over the last few weeks, I've tried to emphasize another part of this church membership idea which is mental and social transformation. Last week, thinking about the transformation and how we think about family, the family that we find in Christ. Today, we're thinking about another part of this. Ephesians 2, 18 through 22, which we read last week, we'll read uh, right now. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And again, there are several different analogies here. There's the household family, there's the building slash structure we talked about in Bible class, the temple. And the one I want to highlight today, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. Being a church member means readjusting the way you think about your place in the world, where you belong. Now, if you think about demographics, 
I love demographics. I love studying demographics. It's very fascinating to me. We break our, our categories of humanity, right? We think about the levels of identity. Well, you can think about your race. You can think about your gender. Think about your age. Think about your family. But then we get into, like, where we live, right? I'm a, I'm a, a member of the, the Dewey Bartlesville community. Nobody wants to hear this, but it's one community, guys. Dewey Bartlesville. It's just all smashed together. Uh, we can think about the state, or we could go county, I guess. I'm in, in Washington County, and then I'm in, of course, uh, uh, Oklahoma. I'm a member of, I'm a citizen of the United States. Uh, we could go for, we don't typically go further than that, but, you know, being in this, hemi- or this, this part of the world is, is different than being in other parts of the world. Just, you know, culturally, we have some similarities. But when we think about the church being a part of the church means readjusting how I consider those other breakdowns, race, gender, place, family, all those things, citizenship. I'm transforming not just how I think about family, but I'm transforming how I think about citizenship and my belonging in the world. Philippians 3.17, this was what was read for us just a moment ago. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even in tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. We'll stop there for a minute. The enemies of the cross of Christ, what? What exemplifies them? They care most of all. Their God is their belly, what they desire. Now, it's not just the things they eat, but this is a stand-in for the physical desires, right? They are living for physical desires. They glory in shame. And here's the second part. Their minds are set on earthly things, things that matter to the world, things that the world cares about. The contrast. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. I want to emphasize the concept of transformation. A transformation that will take place in the future that is preceded by a transformation that takes place now. The transformation in the future who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The last line there, talking about what we talked about last week, the the transition, the transformation of family. He considered these people, the Philippian church, his family, his brothers, his beloved. The second transformation, our citizenship. The, trans, the, the, the switch from mind set on earthly things to citizenship in heaven. I belong, not here, I belong in heaven. That is my primary residence. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. So then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men, whom whom will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. The, The word soldier, let's pause briefly on this word. Military service is historically one of the things that defines your nation, your nationality. You only get to serve in the military of the place that you belong. 
right? That's, that's where you go. If you're a, a citizen of America, you serve in the United States military. If you're a, a citizen of some other country, you serve in their military. Now, you might have allies and you might, you know, you have joint operations, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, you are a soldier of the nation that you belong to. Here, the analogy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. We sing that. They always want to do that for pew packers. They always want to do that song. Kids just love it so much. It exemplifies a deep spiritual idea that I am a citizen of heaven. And part of my responsibility as a citizen of heaven is I am enlisted. I am drafted. There's no optional extra here. You're in it if you're in it. Into the military of heaven a soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The civilian pursuits. Now here the contrast is not between citizens of various nations, but here the contrast is between an active duty and a civilian. And again, we're readjusting the way we think about the world. We're, we're realigning how we consider our place in the world that I am in active military service. And as part of that, it excludes some stuff that I would do otherwise. Soldiers don't just get to do whatever they want. Soldiers, and that's what he says here, right? No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. We as soldiers of Christ are intended, our goal is to aim uh, to please him, to please the one who enlisted us, that is Jesus. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. The athlete and the farmer, who if they want to have the prize, in the case of the athlete it's winning, in the case of the farmer it's the crop, has to do things in a particular way. We have to do things in a particular way as members, as citizens of heaven. What we come to then. This is a gathering of expatriates. An expat, one who lives outside of their na native country, in some cases establishing new citizenship, but often not. One who is not living in the place that they were born. Here we are. All of us, in the, well maybe not all of us, hopefully all of us in this room, a gathering of expatriates. We are not in our homeland. We belong in heaven. Becoming a church member means becoming an expatriate, that we are switching our citizenship. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, there's a double meaning in this text, sort of an interesting double meaning, that Peter, 1 Peter, written to the, the, elect, the, the, the Christians of the dispersion, right? The elect exiles of the dispersion, the diaspora of Israel that were not living in Israel. They were, not, they, they were Israelites who had been scattered in a number of different reasons. But Israelites who had been scattered from Israel, they were living in different parts of the world. And so we have this double meaning here. I urge you as sojourners and exiles, literally, you're not, you're not in Israel anymore. You're Christians, that you're, you're Israelites that are not in Israel. But then also... Sojourners and exiles of heaven. We belong in heaven, but we're not there. To abstain from the passions of the flesh. What did he say previously? No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. The passions of the flesh, those are civilian pursuits. 
which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Like family relationships, this can be one of the hardest adjustments to make, mental adjustments to make, the church member's primary residence is the church. Now, not the building, right? We're not talking about the building, but the kingdom of God. That's your primary residence. If you are a church member, if you're a member of the Lord's body, your primary residence is not Bartlesville or Dewey or we have a number of visitors wherever you're from. Your primary residence is the kingdom of heaven. You happen to live here as a sojourner and an exile. You're just visiting. And this is how we have to readjust how we think about the world. That in the world, we're just visiting. I'm just visiting America. Maybe for 80 years, but I'm just visiting. I'm just visiting wherever it is that you happen to live. That's not where you're from. That's not where you're going. It's a way station on a longer journey. Along with this realignment of thinking about how we belong in the world is changing how we think about everything in the world. Again, what did he say about those who are enemies of the cross of Christ? Their minds are set on earthly things. He says it this way, 1 John 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Why make the switch? Why transition? Why change how you think about your relationship with the world? The world is temporary. How many countries have existed in human history? I bet we couldn't even, I, I, I bet there's no way we could even know that. We can make a guess. They all ended. The United States will end. Maybe it will end in our lifetime. Maybe not. If nothing else, it'll end when? When Jesus returns. That'll be the end of this country and every other. But even if Jesus doesn't come for another thousand years, I feel very confident in saying, in a thousand years, none of the countries that exist today will exist. The world is passing away. And along with that, not just nations, not just countries, but all that is in the world. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, the things that we invest in. Today is Super Bowl Sunday. I love the Super Bowl. Used to be, it was always on lectureship week, uh, Freed Hardman, but then they added another week to the season, so now it's not. How long will the NFL last? I don't know. Won't outlast the country, I know that. Maybe it'll last a long time. That'll pass away too. Think about your job. It's important. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a job. You need to provide for your family. That's important. That too will pass away, Right? You're going to move on to another job. You're going to retire from that job. You might get fired from this job. That is a temporary thing. What lasts forever? Your citizenship in heaven. That is the only thing about you that should last forever. Your citizenship in heaven. 
Whoever does the will of God abides forever. So we think about things in the world that's brought, oh, I already said all this stuff. This is why I need to be paying attention to my notes. Uh, I don't want to say that everything we care about is sinful. I don't want to say that. It's not sinful to care about your job. It's not sinful to care about your family. It's not sinful to think about the things in the world. Rather, we need to constantly and continually reassess our priorities. It's not wrong to care about the things in the world unless, as Jesus said last week, those things come before him, right? Those things come before Jesus. Those are all secondary things. And they're, some of them are fine. Some of them are not. Some of the things in the world are definitely inherently sinful. Even the things that aren't inherently sinful, though, should not be our priority. Should not be the things that we care about the most. Romans 8, 5 through 8. I didn't intend to talk about this in Sunday morning class and now. It just sort of, you know, I don't know. Maybe the Spirit is working because he really wants us to think about this passage, right? We've talked about it a billion times over the last few weeks. Romans 8, 5 through 8. For those who think, uh, live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not to submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. The mind that is set on the flesh cannot please God. What do you spend the majority of your time thinking or doing, thinking about or doing? Well, probably it's going to be your job. We understand that. You have to do that. But thinking about things that are not in, in survival, things that are not related to survival, what do you spend the majority of your time doing or thinking about? Are they things that will last beyond eternity? Are they things that will last beyond your physical life or no? Things that are very temporary in nature or not? What do you invest the most time, energy, money into? Again, is it going to be things that will endure forever? Or things that will last for a couple years and then go away? What do you care about the most? We can think about a number of different ways to ask this question. One of the ways that I find, one of the things that I find to be instructive is, what makes you the angriest or the saddest? I think a lot of times we think about the way the world is going, things that are happening in this country. If you are sadder or angrier about things that are happening on a national level than things that are happening in the kingdom of God, you probably care more about the nation than you do about the kingdom of God. If you're more upset because things are not going the way you want in the world than you are because things are not going the way God wants in his church, you probably care more about the world than the church. We get to go the other way, though. What brings you the most joy? If you have the most joy in your life because of things that are happening in the world or things that are happening, not that it's wrong to have joy over things that are happening in the world, but if that is more joyful, more of a source of joy in your life than things that are happening in God's kingdom, then again, that's a strong indicator. You care more about the world than you do about God's kingdom. The kingdom of God, his church, things that are happening in the spiritual domain should be the greatest causes of our emotional extremes both sadness, anger, and joy and happiness. So being a church member means changing nationalities. We still live in the world. Ultimately, we understand that. But we have to think of it as, again, strangers and sojourners, exiles on the earth. Not where we belong, but where we are currently, just as a way station. We're traveling, we're visiting. And the goal as we visit is what? 
to convince more people that they should not belong here. We're on a mission trip our entire lives. A mission trip into the domain of the world to try to convince people to come join us in heaven. Isn't that what we are? Even if we're, you don't, maybe you don't go to a foreign country, you're still on a mission trip here because you belong in heaven. You're here as a sojourner and stranger trying to convince other people, hey, we all belong, we should belong in heaven. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16, the last verse we'll read today. Think about the heroes of faith. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus. Do you speak like this? Do you speak like America is a place you're visiting? Like Bartlesville is a place you're temporarily located? People who speak thus, who talk like they don't belong here, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they could have returned. They had, would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Why? Why is God not ashamed to be called their God? Because they knew they didn't belong here. What's the inverse of that? That those who make this world their home, God is ashamed to be called their God. How dare you claim him as God if this is your home? For he has prepared for them a city. He has promised us a better homeland. But to live there, we have to first live here as if that were our home. You can't live here as if this is your home and then get to judgment and think, oh, now I'd like to belong in heaven. No, you belong in heaven now. And so we have to change the way we think about our relationship with the world. We belong, not here, in this city or this country or this town or this place. We belong with God. One of the things that has been, I've, I've been tracking sort of during the worship this morning, beginning with, Pat's prayer that we are eagerly awaiting his return, aren't we? We're hastening for and waiting, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Wouldn't it be great if he came back today? Wouldn't that be awesome? It's only awesome if what? It's only awesome if you already belong there. And so we offer the invitation to become a part of the kingdom, to switch your nationality now, switch your citizenship now. So that when he returns, you can go home to the place that we belong.